When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Episode 54, Wealth Well Done. Hey Chainers, and welcome to another edition of Chain of Wealth. I'm your host, Dennis O'Brien. And I'm Katie Walsh. All right, Katie, so we have a very interesting character today, and this is a very unique guest. I don't think we've had anyone quite like him. I really enjoyed uh, talking to Billy from Wealth Well Done because he has such an interesting and inspirational story yeah he really does i don't think many people have managed to achieve what he's achieved either considering what what kind of hand he was dealt and in such a short period of time the thing that i liked it most about billy was he went to prison and then he turned his life around and i think that's really important because so many people have made mistakes whether it's a big financial mistake or you did go to prison that it's easy i think to feel like my life is over what am i gonna do now and billy is such an inspirational example of yeah i made a mistake but i can dig myself out of it yeah and i think also being able to own your mistake and saying i messed up is huge is huge you know and a lot of people they would just jump on the whole oh i'm a you know, I'm a victim of the system and, you know, woe is me and not try and be positive about what happened and try to turn your life around and stuff like that. And that's really cool. And, you know, I can only really name one or two other people that have done stuff like this. And I'm going to have to go with Nelson Mandela. He spent 27 years in prison. So typical South African. (laughs) So, you like, but it really is inspirational being able to turn your life around. Well, and I felt a lot of inspiration just with my debt payoff. If Billy was able to do such huge things, then so can I. Yeah, definitely. All right. Should we dive right into our interview? Yeah. Awesome. Let's do it. Welcome to Chain of Wealth. Here's your host, Dennis, inspiring you to begin your journey of financial freedom. Hey, Chainers, and welcome to another edition of Chain of Wealth. Today, we have Billy with us. Billy is probably the most unique guest that we have had the pleasure of interviewing. His story starts at a party in college that lands him in prison for 10 years. Flash forward to now, Billy has a blog called Wealth Well Done, a book, Spark, owns property, is married to a beautiful wife and has a net worth of over a quarter of a million dollars. Welcome, Billy. Hi, Billy. Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, you guys just reading that kind of blows my own mind. Like, how the heck did I do all that? <laughs> I know. Sometimes it's like, wow, I'm actually quite awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yes. When, when I when I went into prison, I was never expecting I could turn my life around. And then when I got out of prison, I was never, ever expecting that within five years that somebody would have me on their podcast and read that intro. <laughs> it's always funny when you hear your own intro. Um we actually had a guest on the other day and 
um, they actually wrote their own bio paragraph like a long time ago and they put it on their website and Katie saw it and she was like, this is a perfect bio paragraph. Um, his episode um, is actually Pete McPherson. We interviewed him um, a couple, like a week or two ago. Um, yep. And anyway, so um, it, it starts off like Pete writes fantastic bio paragraphs and he was just like, he sat there laughing at his own text and I was like, <laughs> you know, like that's when you know it's authentic, when the guy can sit back and enjoy what he's said. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. And I will also say uh, everything you read there, I'm extremely grateful for everything I've been able to accomplish because uh, at one point in my life, I didn't think anything was possible. So even just to say that I'm able to walk, be free, uh, you know, own a home, like I'm just grateful for everything that I have. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about that day that you got arrested all those years ago? Yeah, but that's a perfect way to start off. Um I woke up that now this is a I was 21 years old when I got arrested and 21 or for 21 years. My life was relatively normal until this one day um, I woke up with a drug hangover. Uh, I didn't think the night before was that bad. I mean, I was a college kid that was partying. I used to get drunk. I used to get high. I mean, for me, this was normal. Um, so I woke up. Uh, hungover and I went to college class. I had a three hour statistics course. So what makes me kind of unique as a very heavy drug user experimenter was I was using extremely hard drugs, but at the same time, I was relatively thinking that I was keeping my life together. I mean, I was functional enough to go to a high level statistics course and at least survive it. So I had justified my whole life thinking, hey, as long as I'm doing what society wants me to do, well, then I should be able to do whatever the heck I want to do. And so that morning I was doing what society wanted me to do, which is succeed in college. When I left that class, it was about noon. And this is when everything started to turn. And within an, maybe even 35 minutes of that, I was going to be put in handcuffs for the first time in my life and brought to jail. Um, I left statistics course and I called my friend who I'd partied with the night before. He had walked home that night and his phone didn't answer. And I didn't think much of it. Um, I biked back through the small college town to my apartment and he still wasn't answering his phone. I know he went to work the next morning and I call his house phone and his roommate answered it. And on the next few words or were the words that changed my life forever. Because I said, hey, you know, is my friend there? And the next thing I heard is, Billy, he's dead. He's dead. You got to get out of here right now. The cops are here. They know who you are. They're looking for you. You got to get out of here. And that was the moment my life went from all fun and games to, oh, my God, this is not supposed to be happening to good kids like us, but it's happening. You know, I didn't I didn't want to think it was real. I didn't. I didn't want to believe this was happening at first. I thought it was a bad dream or, 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 or my friends were going to be playing a joke on me. Right. And as I sat there, it, it wasn't uh, happening. Wow. So I, I can, I can keep going in or we can pause right there. I, I can't imagine that because I remember like, as you're telling your story, I'm thinking back to when I was in college and I'm sure Dan, you're probably thinking the same thing too. Like everybody has those nights where you go out and, you know, you probably shouldn't be drinking like during the week and partying and everything, but you really don't 
think there's going to be any repercussion of your action. Well, the thing is as well is everyone else is doing it, you know, like it seems like the social norm as well. And it's quite crazy that one day or one night can have such a massive impact on the rest of your life. Yeah. And you guys just summed it up so perfectly right there. Um, You know, I went into that night thinking A, B and C were possible. A was I was going to be hungover. B, uh, I'd make a dumb decision, regret it. Or C, worst case scenario, something bad happens and I get arrested. Right. I never thought that the Z scenario was going to happen. That somebody was going to die accidentally from a drug overdose that night after he left my home. Uh, I never thought that was possible. And that's one thing I like to do is educate people that when you make bad decisions, you don't get to control the consequence that happens to you. Yeah, it's very true. So let's talk a little bit about you serving time. You didn't just waste away like a lot of other people do. You really made it count. What sort of things did you do while you were serving your sentence? Oh, um, so, and I'll just finish that story real quick. So that, you know, the listeners know what happened. So the yeah, next minute, please. the the cops, uh, broke down my, well, they didn't break my, my door. I grabbed everything in the apartment. I go running out my apartment and the police had already known what apartment I went to. So when I went running out the door, they were already there. Um, I had a backpack full of illegal substances on me and they saw me. I fit the description and I got put under arrest. Um, I eventually got charged with reckless homicide by delivery of a controlled substance. Uh, I sat through jail for a year going through trial for it. And after a year, I eventually pled guilty to it uh, and rolled the dice on my sentencing date. And I was sentenced to 10 years in prison for it. And I had to serve every single one of those days. I couldn't imagine. And you said you were from like a like a regular family in like the Midwest where you were living just like a regular life and everything. What went through your mind when you did get sentenced? Oh, oh my gosh. Like, uh, you totally, I, I grew up in a very nice family. I had so many opportunities given to me and looking back on it, I took advantage of so many of those opportunities. I have so many regrets. Uh, my parents, you know, helped me go to college and yes, I was succeeding, but here I was using drugs. And so when I got, first of all, went to jail and then went to prison I was thrown into a world full of human beings and a mentality that I'd never been around. Um, it was a very scary, intimidating place at first. I mean, you know, I, I had figured, you know, I was I was always from educated, uh, you know, understanding societies where I suddenly found myself as a 21 year old person. That's a relatively young age um, in a very harsh, abrasive direct world of human beings. Uh, and my first thought was now I need to learn how to survive in this world because they're not letting me out of here. Which must have been terrifying. Yes. And, and I suppose that would be a you know good intro to, you know, one of your questions, which was, you know, how did I handle that? Or go ahead and ask me another question. Yeah. So you didn't just sit around serving your time. You, you try to make the most of it. What kind of things did you do? Yeah. So I would say the first year of prison, maybe even two years or was just, how do I survive this? Um, you know, all of a sudden you're locked, you know, you don't see the outside world. I didn't see the sky. I didn't see the the stars. I didn't see trees for 18 months. Holy cow. 
So the first thing is, how do I mentally survive this? That was my only goal, you know, and my, my entire body went into survival mechanism. You know, when you see a, uh, an animal that gets trapped and it just, it's freaking out. I mean, that's how my mind was going. Like, what do I even do? And so the first step was I learned how to survive it. I learned how to be okay with myself. And then the next step was my old life, my old identity of a drug user of thinking I had it all together. That was all a lie. It was a sham. And I was disgusted with the human being that I'd become that put me into this situation. So the next step then was, well, if I'm not happy with who I am, how do I become a person I can be proud of? And so you could say then the next nine years of prison was structuring a plan to become a person that I could be proud of. I think that's really inspiring because I feel like I can only imagine how like I would react if that were to happen to me. And I feel like I would kind of just like not really know what to do with myself and I wouldn't really know where to go from there. So the fact that you went into survival mode, which I think is totally understandable, but then you were strong enough to think, okay, I'm, my life's not over. This is not who I am. I made a mistake and I'm going to do something better is so inspiring. Yeah, that's what, uh, that's what pulled me through it. Um, and you know, it didn't happen overnight. We're talking about a 10 year journey. So you could say like two, three, four months of we're just survival mode, figuring things out. And, uh, you know, when I made the decision that, you know what, um, the, the justice system sentenced me to 10 years and, and I can't help that. And it's, you know, I can't be mad at them because anger is only going to crush me in here. Um, I, I formed a very large chip on my shoulder. Um, and it took me about a year or two when I was sitting in, in my cell and, you know, as I became sober again and I'm a spiritual guy. So as I kind of was talking to God a lot in those cells, um, the, the voice that I kept hearing in my soul was you're in this situation, but you can be better than this. And I just grabbed onto that thought and I held it that saying, yeah, I'm here and I put myself here, but I am be better this, than this than this. And one thing, this is kind of a cool story. Um, when I got in my first prison cell, there was a, another guy next in the cell next door to me and we were just chatting it up and, and he said, you know what? They can't hold you forever in here. You don't have a life sentence. One day you're going to get your second chance. And I just mentally held on to that thought. Like I'm not in here forever. One day I'm going to get my second chance. And when I get it, I'm going to grab it and I'm never going to screw it up again. And I'm never going to let go of it. I'm going to prove to myself and, you know, to, to whoever's watching me, to God that I can do this. And I, I just want to say that and really focus on that because there's people out there that are listening that have made mistakes, but your second chance is tomorrow morning when you wake up and you can say, I don't have to be in this situation forever. And I can, one day I can get out of this. Let's talk about overcoming the situation and you've had 10 years to sit in prison and, you know, like do a lot of thinking and sort of plan what you're going to do when you get out. What were those first few days like when you were finally free? So it's awesome. Now, do you want to hear the, uh, just the fun parts of it and how exciting it was? Or do you want to hear like the, you know, the, the focus and what I was like, the goals that I have to make, or should we just talk a little bit about it, both of that? We no, we want to hear all of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. And you guys keep me going along. Cause I don't know what our time limit is here, but, uh, you know, when I, when I first got out of prison, it was like, uh, 
uh, I mean, I, I remember making myself tomato soup at two o'clock in the afternoon and, and a grilled cheese and tomato soup. And I'd never eaten a meal outside of 7.30 a.m., 11.10 a.m., and 4.30 in the afternoon. I had never had a lunch in 10 years that was what I wanted to eat and when I wanted to eat. Um, just the simple things like that were liberating. I mean, going into a gas station or a grocery store, um, the colors that you'd see in the brands and like, the, like all the options were just overwhelming. It was like, it was, it was like going to an amusement park every time I walked into a gas station. Um, and it's still like that too. It took me a couple of years to actually pay for gas at the pump rather walk in. Cause it was just so unique. Um, and then also all the relationships. I mean, my parents who stood by me, my friends, seeing them, um, the technology, you know, I, back then I had to wait three days for, for 10 years, I had to wait three days to get information from the outside world or even six days. Cause I'd have to send a letter and wait for it to come back to me. Or I'd have to order a book and wait for the book to come or wait for a, a magazine to show up, which was three days in the postal system. So to have all this information at a computer was, was mind blowing to me and a, and a computer. I, I, I only had a typewriter. I became a writer while I was in jail and I only had a typewriter. Uh, that you could only write one time and you couldn't edit it. So to have a computer that had a word document processor on it, like it was so amazing. So those are just some of the, the, the things that I remember the cool sides of it. And then the motive, you know, the, the goal setting side of it, that was, that was scary to me. Cause remember, I mean, I make it look easy now, but anybody who makes life look easy, 95% of the time has worked their butts off when nobody was watching them. Yeah. You know, you, we see the, we see the Olympians on, on, you know, we see or professional athletes. We see them make these things look so easy and we don't see the every day behind the scenes, how hard they work. And so my biggest fear was, am I going to be able to take all this stuff that I worked on all this, you know, philosophy and mental knowledge and actually execute it? And will it actually work in real life? I can hear just the amount of appreciation that you have for for even like the smallest things that I feel like normally people take for granted. It's actually quite funny. Um, one of my friends, his uncle got arrested for um, having drugs in Thailand, if I remember correctly, and he got 25 years for that. Um, but when he came out of prison, he only recently got out of prison and he, he was young as well when he got arrested. Um, so I think he was like in his fifties or so, or late forties yeah. and he came out and, um, he just couldn't believe that you had like touchscreen phones and the whole concept of what you can or can't touch completely boggled his mind. Cause I mean, if you, if you think about it, you're completely sheltered from everything for years. Oh, oh yeah, totally. And I, and I had had a TV, so I'd seen TV. So, but I thought with, with touch tone phones, you know, I got out in 2012. I only thought like the richest of the rich people had those. <laughs> like I wasn't aware that everybody just goes to Verizon or whatever the phone store is and everybody had one. Yeah. So that was a, uh, that was mind blowing to me. I had, th I had three goals when I got out and one was, um, finish college. I only had a year left. So I thought college would give me a nice stepping stone because I could learn how to be a human being in society again. So that was my first goal, finish college in a year. 
which I did. And then the second goal was I just wanted to make it, get a $10 an hour job. Like that was my entire goal because I knew if I could get my first job, well then I could set my goal a little bit higher and get my next job. So those were my two main goals. And then my third goal was once I accomplished those goals, take a deep breath, reevaluate what worked for me and what didn't work for me, and then set my next step of goals. Did you have a hard time finding a job once you got out? Um, and I asked because I talked to a, an older gentleman quite a while ago when I had one of my random side jobs, and he was a really nice guy and so positive. And when I was talking to him one day, he told me that he had been to prison for, I think, manslaughter or something. And he told me that with that on his record, he couldn't really find a job better than being a busboy in a restaurant. So I'm kind of curious, how, how was it for you um, in finding a job? Um, it wasn't that bad. And I had a lot of lucky breaks, but I worked really hard for those lucky breaks. And I would say for anybody listening out there, life is as hard as you're going to make it. And if you're looking for discouragement, you can find it. Discouragement is everywhere if you want to look for it. So the trick, mental trick I use was if there's discouragement, I'm not going to pay attention to it. If somebody says no to me, I'm just going to go to the next person to ask. And if they say no to me, I'm just going to go to the next person to ask. And my whole mentality was I don't care about the 50% of people that don't like me and are not going to give me an opportunity. I'm going to go and find the 50% of the people that, that look me in the eye and say, I want to give you a chance. And so if people didn't like me, I didn't pay attention to it. Um, and so I found the people that looked me in the eye and said, dude, uh, you look like a hard worker and you look like you're a straight shooter and I want to help you. And, you know, even before I got out uh, or even when I first got out, I went to a church and I, I was just like, I'm going to tell everybody who I am because nobody can help me unless they know where I'm from. And I was amazed that I would say I, I can't even remember one person that didn't react like this. So I'll say 100 percent on air right now. The hundred percent of people I, I looked at, they weren't afraid of me. They looked at me and said, I want to help you. And that was my experience in the in the job market. I mean, sure, people were skeptical, but I was just like, fine, be skeptical of me. Give me a chance and you're going to see over and over and over again. I'm going to prove it. So my first job was just stacking uh, magazines uh, for 10 bucks an hour. Uh, the cool thing about that job was the hours were flexible so I could interview for better jobs. And then actually the next job I interviewed for or went to an interview for that. It was a business owner. He's like, you know what? I see a drive in you that I don't see in everybody. You should start your own company. He says, I'll teach you how to start a company. You can sell my products and then you can be self-employed. And I look back at him in the eye and I was like, man, that sounds cool. Because I found a life I was happy to live in prison. Where I didn't have to ask any, well, I couldn't leave those prison walls, but I didn't have to ask permission or act like I was anybody else other than myself. And I want to get back to that. And I knew being self-employed was going to be the only gateway to get me there because I'd never have a boss again. So. My second job after getting out was actually being uh, starting my own business, and I did it. Where there's a will, there's a way, and that your your perception of things and how you talk to yourself is definitely a reflection of that. Well, well, thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. So, tell yeah. us a little bit about your business. Yeah. So, uh, um. 
when I was there in the meeting, I didn't know anything. I just got out of prison. So the only thing I knew how to do is write. Oh, and I also knew I had incredible people skills because I grew up in a very educated uh, upper middle class. However, when I was in prison, I learned how to talk to every race, every class that you will find in America. And I learned how to be liked and respected by that class. So I knew when I got out, uh, communication was going to be my greatest strength because there was nobody I was going to meet that I couldn't identify with. And so when the guy talked to me, he saw that in me right away when I presented. I was confident. I was unafraid. And he said, what you should really do is start a sales business. And he says, I have a um, embroidery screen print, you know, promotional business um, where I sell clothing to businesses that need their logos on stuff. And I was like, hey, that's kind of fun. You know, I don't it's all creative because you're dealing with new projects all the time. It's clothing. It's it's something interesting. And it's not something I have to, you know, know about or have been in the field forever. It's everybody wears clothing. I know clothing. And so he said is, yeah, what you what you should do is just start going and selling and go door to door and say hi to businesses and find businesses who need a service like you and then just uh, supply them with the stuff you need. So that's what I did. Uh, in the first six months, I literally only sold $10,000 worth, worth of gear. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I tried this. It didn't work. That's okay. Because failure is part of the process to succeeding. And that's what uh, hopefully I can, when people are listening to that, understand failure is part of the process of succeeding. So never be afraid of failure because you have to fail so many times before you can succeed. But I knew I was onto something. So I kept going, I, I got new contacts, and before you know it, uh, my luck turned the other way. And all of a sudden I sold a big job and another job and more clients started calling me and people were started referring me. And the next six months I sold $180,000 worth of stuff. Wow. And, and I was living in my parents' basement at, this, at the time when I was doing it. Uh, but at 180 grand was when I was like, okay, this, like, that's just in sales. So I profited maybe, you know, 25 to 40, somewhere in there. And, but that's when I was like, okay, this is a, this is something I can do and I can live on my own doing it. So then I just kept going at it. And that's what I've been doing since. Fantastic. You're also a fellow personal finance blogger. You have a blog called Wealth Well Done. So tell us a bit about what your goal was for starting the blog. So. I, I'm really actually, a, a so Wealth Well Done is my blog and it originated because I'm really a kind of a meaning of life, purpose of life seeker. Like that's what interests me. Like I don't sit there and think about money. I think about like, what is our purpose for being here? What, what, what meaning can I get out of this? And that's what I was after. And I was, I was saving all my money naturally because I didn't want to have to be dependent on a job so I could just pursue God and find meaning and, and, and find stories of why we're here and write. Cause that's what I really am as a writer. And so I was pursuing that. And all of a sudden one day as I was learning how to invest, cause I, my, my problem started to be, I was saving so much money that I need to learn how to invest. And all of a sudden I looked at my bank account one day and added up my investments. And I had like a hundred thousand dollars that I had made saved almost on accident by pursuing purpose and meaning in life. And all of a sudden I realized, man, what I should really write about is wealth because the definition of wealth to me is not the richest person in the world or who has the most money. The wealthiest people that I look up to are the people that are filled with drive and meaning and fulfillment and, and are on a mission every day and have the finances to back that mission up. That's my vision of wealth. And I, I came back from a walk one night and I looked at my wife, I said, I said, wife, 
her name's Amanda. I said, we need to write about wealth because that mixes everything that we think about all together. And, and I knew that my, 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 my way of thinking got me through prison for 10 years. It made me $100,000 net worth within like three years after I got out and within five years after being out and I didn't know anything, I'm worth quarter million dollars. Like I knew we could bring this all, if I just wrote about how I did it and the way that I thought, because the way you think creates your reality. So if I could just write about that, well then, you know, there's many people that would, would want that. So that's the, how Wealth Well Done came to be. Fantastic. And the word wealth for me has such a deep meaning. Wealth and mama, like anyone, anyone can have money, you know, and anyone can be rich, but to create wealth and to be wealthy, you have to create long-term value and retain it, you know, and whether that's a financial thing, whether that's a personal thing, it can have so many different meanings. You're dead on. And I mean, I probably only write about 25% about money and the rest is how to structure your mind to be grateful and happy and to accomplish the dreams that you want to live. And then it's just using money as a tool to help your soul come alive inside of you and get that vision that you, that, that we all wake up dreaming about. Like that's what's, that's what wealth is to me is to accomplish the dream that your soul screams at you every morning when you wake up and every morning when you go to sleep. Because the people that are living that dream, those are the wealthiest people. Yeah. And when you have the idea that you're grateful for what you have, more will come to you. When you're sitting there and you're thinking, I don't have enough and I need this and I need that, it kind of just turns into like a downward spiral. Sure. And when I was in prison, I learned that we really don't need a lot to be happy. I bet you did learn that. <laughs> you know, like, like there was days in prison, I, I became a long distance runner that I'd be out on the track running and I was happy and that cost me nothing. Yeah. And, and I brought that same attitude into freedom. Then once I had money, I realized I just need to have enough stuff that allows me to be the person I want to be. And that's it. So earlier when I was kind of looking uh, through your blog and everything, one of your posts really caught my eye and it was about cryptocurrency because crypto is is such a big thing right now Um, and I've kind of been like trying to rack my brain to learn about it and you kind of well you didn't kind of you did you compared it (laughs) you compared it to heroin and I thought that that was such an interesting way to kind of explain your take on it can you Give our listeners a little bit of insight as to what you're thinking. Yes, I, I will do my best. Um, so I, in the article, I, can, I said how Bitcoin reminds me of heroin. And Bitcoin, we can put it in together with all other volatile investments that you don't know what's going to happen to them. Um, Bitcoin is just, and cryptocurrency is just flavor of the month right now. I have no idea if to be around five years, but I can guarantee that in five years, there will be another extremely volatile investment opportunity. And I believe all, not even I believe, this is my personal life experience, but all volatile investments remind me of heroin. And this is why. When you're getting high on these things, like, like Bitcoin, like not even now, but when it first started, like people were buying in it at a hundred, couple hundred bucks, right? Per coin. And when that coin increased in value to at one time $19,000, I guarantee that there was a lot of high people on that money. 
like like it just blew their mind how rich they became so fast and it's this empowering thing just like when i first got high on heroin like it took me to this dream fantasy world where i just i i liked it and i'm sure there was a lot of rich people out there that got suddenly so rich and they just liked that reality and the way i compare it to to heroin is is it's the, not the highs you have to worry about this is my own learning lesson from heroin like if it was only highs we were talking about drugs, I'd be like, man, I'm getting high every day. <laughs> the problem with drugs is the downfalls that come. Because eventually I have never taken a drug um, that lasted forever. Every drug that got me extremely high, I came off of. And when I came off of it, it was not a pleasant experience. Uh, when I came down from heroin, um, I felt sick. I felt disgusting. I felt lost. I felt, I felt like the only thing that could make me feel better was to get high again. And that's where the mental addiction starts. And, you know, Bitcoin hasn't crashed yet, but my personal life experiences taught me that whatever goes up extremely fast, whatever gets you really high, really fast, will come down eventually. And it's a horrible feeling. So I don't know if Bitcoin will ever come down. I mean, there's a chance. I mean, sure, you know, arguers of Bitcoin could say it's going to go up forever and I'm just going to be high forever. Um, and if it does, great. But my own personal life experience has taught me that when things are so high and so fun and feel so great, watch out. Because when life looks like easy street, there's danger at your door. And personally, after what I've been through, I don't need to take a risk in volatile investments in, unless I believe in them. So that's how I compared it uh, from own personal life experience. The thing is, as well, is that things work in cycles. And I think people forget that, you know, like the economy can't always be growing. It has to come back at some point. And when it comes to investing and whether it's cryptocurrency, whether it's the stock market, whether it's the bond market, it can't keep going up forever and it will correct itself for sure. Long term, it will have a general trend to grow. But if you see periods that there are a huge amount of growth, you better expect a correction. <laughs> there, there you go. Perfect. Perfectly said. And, and, you know, also, you know, to encourage people like investing is taking a risk. I mean, that's what the whole goal is. You don't know what's going to happen. Um, so with Bitcoin or any other one, it's just that um, I, I've I've taken volatile drugs before and they remind me too much of volatile investments. So it's just not something that I personally want to keep in my portfolio. And I'm not an expert in that. It's just something from life experience has taught me to watch out of very volatile things that make you feel uh, amazing feelings because watch out. I can definitely, especially for your experience, why you would feel that way. I can sure, definitely and, understand that. Sure. And I mean, I've been super successful with everything else I'm doing. So for my personal thing, like, why don't I just keep putting my energy in the things that have worked for me? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Don't It's finding something that works and sticking to us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't break what works. Just yeah. find what exactly. works and then keep doing that over and over again. That's exactly the phrase that I was trying to find and it was not coming out. Um, <laughs> so what are your plans for the future? Uh, Since you have gonna, such a bright one now. Well, I'm trying to. Um, 
I, I believe I'm here on this earth for a reason and a mission. And I want to keep doing what I'm doing to make it work. And my whole goal for financially financial independence and to save the money is so that I can be free to help people all the time. Um, I want to, I want to, I, I believe I was created for something. I, I mean, we all have to choose. Are we going to believe in a spiritual world or a non-spiritual world? I choose to believe in a spiritual world. And therefore I want to do what God created me to do. And so my goal is to save as much money as I can so that I'm financially independent. So I never have to think about money again. And when I wake up in the morning, I can be like, okay, soul, what do you want to do today? Who do you want to help? What message can you inspire others? Can you, and I don't really know what the full message is yet. Is, is my goal to just let people know that it's okay to forgive themselves? Is, is, my, is my goal to you know, teach people how to do that once they have forgiven themselves? Or is my, my goal to empower people that, to let them know that everyone is here for a reason and they can live a, a phenomenal life and or, or I tell you the truth, it's probably a combination of all three of those. So I'm just going to keep doing what works for me. My dream ever since I was in prison and, and I first had the thought like, you're going to want to write this down. And when I first started dreaming of being a writer, um, I dream of, of having people read my work and look up to my work and, 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 and write books on this stuff. That's, that's what's next. Um, I mean, I'm 37 right now. Uh, my retirement you know, I'd like to be financially independent by 45, but my, my retirement is being able to start companies and start ministries and start nonprofits without caring if they succeed or fail, because I'm already have the money I need. So I can just do it because it's the right thing to do. Chainers, we're just going to take a quick break and then we'll dive right back into the value link round. Chainers, if you're considering renting out a spare bedroom or your investment property, head over to chainofwealth.com slash Airbnb. Katie's written a fantastic guide that'll teach you everything you need to know about Airbnb. And she's also got a whole training course that she's put together for $297. And you can check it out at hostingyourpad.com. The course is fantastic. There's a ton of video tutorials and it already jumpstart your listing. It basically puts you at a major advantage to everyone else that's in the game. It'll teach you how to rank high on the search on Airbnb and really get your listing ahead. So check out chainofwealth.com slash Airbnb and hostingyourpad.com. Why do you think people fail at achieving their dream? Oh, man. Like a loaded question. It is. And I'm going <laughs> to... And I like loaded ones because I can just speak the truth here. I think there's three things. One, so few people have patience. Um, two, I think that a lot of people choose the wrong dream for monetary success, fame, or whatever. And it's not about the dream that makes you rich or famous. It's about the dream your soul craves. And then also, financially, they make bad decisions in the short term. Because if you're going to achieve your dreams, you need all those things. You need the patience. And pr prison taught me how to think in segments of 10-year plans. So I have that. And, and when I look at my competition out there, not everybody has the 10-year. can see like, okay, the first year, the second year is going to stink. It's like when I was selling. 
if somebody else was out there selling and only made 10 or a thousand dollars in six months, they would have given it up. But it was the second six months where I made $200,000. So that finding the right dream, choosing the dream that's that, that you wake up thinking about, like for me, it's writing and then finances in the short term of, of choosing to achieve in the macro over the micro. Uh, I'm, I'm super big on all that. So I, I, and here's, here's just a a short snapshot. So I started my blog like a year and a half ago. I don't remember one time last summer I'd been blogging for a year and there was a day I had three views. And I, I mean, that was kind of insulting to me. That was not insulting me. Like I'm mad at people, but it, it was, it was a chance to give up. But I was like, no, I see the vision. The vision's important to me. I believe in the vision. My soul is screaming at my mind saying, you can do this. So I kept going at it. And, you know, six months later, I mean, just right now, I think the last seven days we've had over 200 views per day. So like if I would have given up when it was hard, when it looked discouraging, I never would have gotten to those days. And hopefully if I continue and my visions are true, there's going to be days when I look at and be like, wow, I never went below 2000 views today. And that might take six months or a year. Or who who knows what it's going to be? We we can relate on that dream. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but it, it's so funny you talk about like planning for the next ten years, and and I think a lot of people don't even have a five year plan. To be honest, a lot of people, if you say to them, "Where do you where do you see yourself in five years?" they don't have an answer for you, and it's so sad. Yeah, and my only goal for that is you know I can't think up these ideas. Um, Honestly, they've they've come from my faith. They've come from my belief in God, and they've come from me listening to this the spirit that is inside my heart. And for me, that's where I get the inspiration to achieve because there's there's something screaming at me from my heart to do this, and, and that's that's the only place I've gotten the 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 drive to be consistently work at it. Do you have any books or podcasts you can recommend for our listeners? Um, um, I'm more of a blog reader. Uh, I'm more, I tell you the truth. I'm more of a reader than a listener. Uh, but I do like any type of content. Um, you know, uh, there's some, I've, I've met, I've in prison, I've read thousands of books, so I don't even know how to bring it down to like my five favorite. I could do that, but I would just say my best advice is to figure out who you want to be and then look at the people who've already become that and then read their books because they've already done it. Like, I think the biggest foolish mistake people can make when trying to achieve their dreams is believing they can do it all on their own. That is the biggest mistake ever. Why? Because the easiest way to do it is find people who've already done it, study them, because they've already, they've already had the mental system and the action system that has worked, and then follow them until you can do it in your own tone of voice, in your own style, uh, and add your fingerprints to it. So the best books or podcasts is find the people that you look up to that are already doing it, already successful at it, and then read their books. Good advice. So do you have a favorite quote? Uh, um, how about, I'm going to, I don't know if it's a, there's a million here. here how about this one? I'm going to make up one. And, and then, then it I'm going to say your quote. Yes. Okay. Here, here's my <laughs> favorite, favorite quote that I heard it in an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting uh, 15 years ago. And I don't know if I'm an alcoholic. I I don't think I am, but when I got in trouble, I was reaching out to anything. 
anything to help me figure out what my problem is. I didn't know what it was. So I was going to everything. And there was a guy in a meeting one time and he said this quote that totally changed my life. It was a, from Mark Twain, the famous 1800 to 1900 author that wrote, uh, Huckleberry Finn, Tom Sawyer, a lot of classic books. And he said, uh, the best thing about telling the truth is you never have to remember what you say. So to me, that was revolutionary because I'd been living two confused lives that were very different than each other. And I was never myself for most of my life before I went to prison. And to suddenly realize that, wow, I could live a drama, mental free life by just telling the truth and being who I am. That was so liberating and freeing to me. And then maybe just a quote that I'll make up real quick is, uh, you know, you don't have to win every battle or go through every door of opportunity that's presented to you. You only have to win the ones that are right for you. It's okay to lose sometimes. It's it, for the things that aren't important to you. Give it up. You know what? For the for the people that don't like you, they're never going to like you. So don't even worry about them. Go find that percentage of the population who likes you that you can help. You know, and it was the same thing that helped me grow my business. When I was out selling, you know, probably 90% of the people, what was their answer? No, I wasn't worried about them. It was nothing personal. It's not like they didn't like me. They just didn't have a need. So rather than focusing on the people saying no, focus on the, the 10% of people that are going to say yes and go find them because through them, that's where your dreams lie. That's very true. Billy, we've absolutely loved hanging out with you today. Do you have any other last advice for our listeners? And then we'll say goodbye. Nope. I, I think I've said everything unless there was some burning question inside your hearts that you just want to ask me before I leave. Nope. I, I think we covered it. Unless do you have anything, Katie? No, I wrote all the questions. So, <laughs> so no, I, had, I, I actually that. sat down and thought about all my questions. <laughs> how, how about this? Let me end with this. Um, the biggest step towards wealth, happiness, and everything is oftentimes forgiving ourselves for our greatest mistakes. And if you made a mistake, it's okay. Your life isn't over. Forgive yourself, pick yourself back up, and say, you know what? I'm better than that mistake, and I'm going to show the world that. And then work your butt off to show the world that a mistake happened to you and you were not a mistake. I love that. Chain, as we've been hanging out with Billy, you can check out his sites at wealthwelldone.com. And if you've made any mistakes, pick yourself up off the ground and keep going. Figure out what your vision is and work towards your goals. Chainers, Katie and I have loved hanging out with you today. If you'd like to continue the conversation, follow at Chain of Wealth on Twitter. Katie posts quite frequently about other podcast episodes that we've done and you can really learn a ton of great financial tips and tricks. That's at Chain of Wealth on Twitter. Catch you on the flip side. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.